today. Let's open up to Luke chapter 7. As this uh, afternoon we get to cover some very important verses um, regarding dying. (laughs) You know, you come to church service and a lot of times we're like, man, um, they teach me how to live. They teach me how to live. And it's true. But we also want to teach you how to die. Uh, The Lord wants to teach you how to die. You know, if I had to give the study a title today, I would probably say this is direct dialogue about death. You know, I know we don't like talking about death too much, but we really should. After all, it happens all the time around us, and one day it will happen to us, right? We can't get around death and taxes. Those are two things you can't escape. I like what Augustine said. Augustine said, he said, There is nothing so certain as death and nothing so uncertain as the hour of death. You know, we're all going to die. Unless the Lord raptures us, man, we're all going to die. And none of us knows when. The the truth of the matter is you might die today. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how old we are. God knows the day. Statistics tell us that every two seconds close to, I'm sorry, one second close to two people die. And so 6,390 people per hour, 153,000 people die every single day. Uh, Some of you probably heard of the death of uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, She passed away, Geraldine Ferraro, um, and many thousands, hundreds of thousands of others died this week. One day, unless we're amongst the very elite group who's going to get raptured, you will hear of me dying. Or I will hear of you dying. We're going to go to each other's funerals, you know. I hope you guys come to mind if I die. (laughs) And so the big question really is um, this. Are you ready to die? Not only are you ready to die, but are you steady in death? You know, what's going to happen when we're there? Maybe it'll be a season of our life. Maybe it'll be a week or a month. I don't know. But how are you going to do when you're there in the valley of the shadow of death? You know, I believe that today's Bible test can help us out a lot when we're there or when it's around us or when it's us, you know, so that we can seriously say this. To me, death is a friend and not a foe. You know, really, there's only three ways to look at it. Either death is a friend to you, it's a foe to you, or it's forgotten by you. A lot of times that latter one is the case for most of us. We don't think much about it, and yet we should. Because none of us has tomorrow guaranteed. I pray that we can seriously say, to me, death is a friend and not a foe. I'm not distressed in it. I'm not obsessed with it. I just know that as a Christian, one day I will be blessed in it. When God decides to take me or my loved one home because of the truth in and the touch of Jesus Christ, because of the pity and the power we see in the person of Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in our text today, you guys. God wants to get us ready for the day that we cross the threshold and into eternity. And so we see here in verse 11, it says, Now it happened the day after that he, speaking of Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, 
and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Incredible story. Ultimately, we're going to see about how Jesus Christ has power over death. Here we see Jesus and his disciples, we read in verse 11. And there's also a large crowd following him. They travel to Nain. It says right here in verse 11, the day after. And so we know the day prior, he had healed a centurion servant. He was in Capernaum. And so now he travels 25 miles to the city of Nain, which is six miles southeast of Nazareth. It's still there today. Uh, Jesus goes a great distance because he's about to do a great work. And so as he's entering the city in God's perfect timing, another crowd is exiting Nain, but this crowd is in mourning, we see, over the death of a young man. Think about that for a second, the death of a young man. You know how difficult it is. Uh, There are no words to describe the devastation of the death of a child and especially the death of your only son. You know, we live in this world, and there's uh, death all around us. Uh, William Barclay said, In the nature of things, we live in a world of broken hearts. You see, the death of an only son makes that heart even more broken. And when you study the Bible, it would be both tragically and biblically sad. The Bible seems to say that the death of an only son is the epitome of tragedy. We read in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 26, O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son. We read in Amos chapter 8, verse 10, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth in every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and his end like a bitter day. You see, in the Bible, the death of an only son is the epitome of tragedy. And to me, that's kind of interesting, just as a quick side note, that God's only son died for us. But that's what we see within the pages of Scripture. And here we see a mother in this seemingly hopeless situation. Again, this was her only son. And then to multiply matters and to make it worse, she was a widow. That means that her husband had also died. And so in the society, um, there would be no one there to provide for her any longer. There would be no one there to protect her any longer. It's her only son. Her husband died. And this is the predicament that she finds herself in. You know, I sometimes tell my son, Aaron, you know, when I leave and I go out the door, I, I grab him. Every once in a while, I grab him, look into his eyes and say, okay, Aaron, You're the man of the house now, you know. And if anybody breaks in, man, I want you to pound them, you know. (laughs) 
And uh, he'll usually say, Dad, I can't. I tell him, yes, you can, man, because you got God on your side, you know. But if I'm out the door, he's the man of the house. If I die one day, he's the man of the house. But now her son died. And that was the situation that we find her in. A seemingly hopeless situation. But look what we read next. We read again in verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. You see, Jesus saw her, and we see, first of all, what he had, and then secondly, what he said. What did he have there in verse 13? The Bible says that he had compassion on her. The NIV says his heart went out to her. Uh, William Barclay said there's no stronger word in the Greek language for sympathy. It, it meant literally you, when your guts move. You know, it's just something inside. It's a, it's a feeling, but it's also a moving. Um, the dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. And it's important for us to know that that's the God that we serve. He's not a God who's disconnected with our hurts. He's a God who is compassionate with all our sufferings. You know, we read that many times in the Bible. Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion. I like that. Gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. We read the same thing in Psalm 111, verse 4. It says, He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. You know, if it wasn't for the compassion of God, the fact that He knows we're hurting, He knows the things that you went through when you grew up and how maybe your dad wasn't there or your mom wasn't there and you live in a fallen world, you live in a fallen body, if it wasn't for the fact of him knowing everything about you, your struggles, your cultural upbringing, the compassion of God, we would be wiped out. That's why it says in Lamentations 3, verse 22, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. You see, this is God. This is the character quality of Jesus Christ. And we read that many times in the Bible Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You know, when you read Matthew 9, and you're like, man, it's their fault. The Lord is their shepherd, Psalm 23, duh. But see, God is compassionate with us. He saw the way that they didn't know where to go. He saw the way that they didn't know where to eat. He saw the way that they had no way of defending themselves. And his and his heart, God's heart, went out to them. You see, and that's what we read in the scriptures regarding Jesus Christ over and over again. And I just really want to communicate to you guys that as you go through tough times, and if you're not there, if you're not going through a tough time right now, you will one day. So, you know, don't, don't, don't freak out. It's okay. I always tell people when it comes to trials, man, that God's either repairing you or preparing you, but you've you got to get ready. They're going to come. Um, the death of a loved one, your own diagnosis of cancer, whatever it might be. And we have to be ready. And when we're there, we need to know that God really is a God of compassion. He really is. Uh, One person said this, In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. 
Man may dismiss compassion from his heart, but God never will. You know, I don't know if you guys realize this, uh, but the ancient world, they, they didn't really believe this. They didn't really understand this. Uh, again, William Barclay said, To the ancient world, this must have been a staggering thing. The noblest faith in antiquity was Stoicism, and the Stoics believed that the primary characteristic of God was apathy. In other words, incapable of feeling. This was their argument. This is what they said. If someone can make another person sad or sorry, glad or joyful, it means that at least for the moment he can influence that other person. If he can influence him, that means that at least for the moment he's greater than him. And so they said, well, no one's greater than God. Therefore, no one can influence God. Therefore, in the nature of things, they said, God must be incapable of feeling. And so they believe in a God of apathy. This was the common thought of the day. And it might even be the common thought of today. You know, you might be here and maybe you're not a stoic uh, positionally, but maybe, man, you're a stoic uh, practically and you're wondering or you don't believe or you doubt whether or not God really cares, whether or not God really is compassionate, whether or not God really understands the depth of the pain that you're experiencing. And what the Bible wants to communicate ever so clearly is that he truly is a God of compassion. I think sometimes what even gets in the way of us receiving this truth is because we know how unworthy you are. Maybe you're here today and you've sinned. You know, you call it a big sin. And you're like, well, you know, God, I'm sure he's like that for everybody, but, but not for me. And that's why I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, Jesus helps us all, for compassion does not measure, it ministers. And that's what the Lord is, you guys. You know, you, you hurt, you go through trials, you go through pain, you go through struggles, and you, got, you just got to need, you need to know that he's right there with you. That he travels 25 miles, you know, in one day. It's not too far for him. We're going to see later that he visits us. He comes over, literally what that Greek word means, he comes over to help us. See, that's the compassionate God that we have. That's what he had in verse 13. He had compassion on her. And then we read what he said to her. He said there in the latter portion of verse 13, do not weep. Do not weep. In the Greek language, it's a present tense negative, which indicates the discontinuing of an action in progress. Uh, the Greek word here means that the widow was not only weeping, she was wailing. And Jesus basically says this to her. He says, you don't have to cry anymore. You know, and I know it hurts, but God, is that's his way of saying, I've got it all taken care of. Yeah, but Lord, how? You don't have to know how. You just got to know that I have it all taken care of. Trust me. See, when you read that, I don't know about you, man. Maybe it's your first time. You're like, how can he say that? Or how dare he say that? But then we see what he did in verse 14 and 15, right? He came, it says in verse 14, and he touched the open coffin. Now, real quick, it wasn't a coffin as we know it. It would be a stretcher in that culture. So they have him on a stretcher. 
And the thing about it, again, it's interesting to me, you know, that God would touch this. Because according to Numbers chapter 19, he wasn't supposed to. If he touched it, he would be unclean. But see, one of the things I see, and we have to be so careful, and we've got to know how God is, and we've got to be like him, is that he's not consumed with the letter of the law. He is sensitive to the spirit. And so, you know, to him it's not a problem. Obviously, he's not going to become unclean. And what he does is he, again, just visualizes. He gives to us that visual about how I want to get so close to you. I want to touch you. I want to help you, right? We know that Jesus touched the leper earlier in Luke 5.13, and he touches the coffin, the corpse, the stretcher, even the soul of this young man. Why? Because he cares and is compassionate. And so in light of this, those who were carrying the son, they stopped. Maybe they were shocked. How could he do such a thing? But Jesus just intervenes. He stops everything. He says, stop weeping, stop walking, stop crying, stop caring. Stop. Stop. I want to do something in your life. You know, and real quick, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, man, but sometimes there are things in our life that are dead that God wants to revive. God wants to bring revival. God wants to bring life. You don't know how many. I talked to so many people this week alone, this week alone, who contemplated suicide. They're Christians thinking about taking their own life. John 10.10 says, The thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life, and that more abundantly, you see. And that's what he says, man. I need to not only touch, I need to talk. And so we read right there, the Lord says in verse 14, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so we read in verse 15 that he sat up. Again, this word right here is used by medical writers to describe patients sitting up in a bed. And just in case you're doubting whether or not he was really alive, you know, he starts talking. You know, I wonder what he said. He probably said, how dare you bring me back? I liked it up there, but I don't know for sure. Probably not. He's probably, uh, Lord, I, I understand. I don't know. But he began to speak obvious evidence that he had been raised from the dead. And in looking at this, and here's the main point here, okay? We see Jesus' providence. We see Jesus' purpose. We see Jesus' pity. We see, though, the most important thing here is Jesus' power, that you and I need to know that when it comes to death, that he has the power over death. And what he does in doing this right here is he shows us, man, how's your walk doing? You can't, you're not walking good as a Christian? I'll give you the power to walk. Oh, you can't talk? I'll give you the power to talk. Oh, you can't hear? I'll give you the power to hear or to see or to live. And that's what he's communicating to us. He travels 25 miles. He wants to minister to the widow, undoubtedly, but he wants to, to minister to us. Because one day we'll be there. It might be sooner than you think. And when we're there, we want to die with integrity. We want to die with confidence. We want to go and reach the lost who are dying and point them to the person who has the power to give them life. And that's what we learn in our text today. You know, Jesus heals the, the boy here. We're going to see in Luke 8, he heals, he heals the girl. 
Um, and just in case you're thinking, well, he does it, you know, within a small time frame. Uh, we know that in John chapter 11, he healed Lazarus. I mean, he raised Lazarus, who stunketh already for four days. He was already dead, right? It's not, there's, no, there's, no, there's no death that's too hard for him. And he shows us who he is, that he has the power over death. It's so interesting. All he has to do is speak it. That's all he has to do. Uh, we read in John chapter 5 and verse 25, he says, Most assuredly, and that in, in the Greek language is just amen, amen. Whenever they're done in the front of a sentence, that means that you can take this one to the bank. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will what? Live. Will live. You see, the Lord has conquered death. As a matter of fact, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the most important chapters really in the whole Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christians. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's a good nursery verse, huh? We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. You get it? Okay, you don't get it. All right, that's all right. Anyways, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, verse 51 and 52 are in reference to the rapture of the church, another event that can happen at any time now. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, Christians are going to be raptured out. We see that happened in the book of Genesis when the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God took him, right? We see it illustrated in the whole story of Noah and his ark, how God lifted him up while he judged the world. God's getting ready to judge the world and he will lift up his church. So there will be some who won't die, the rapture of the church, but uh, for the rest, notice what it says right here. It says, Uh, In verse 53, for the corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to the day of death, the day that we cross the threshold into eternity, the one who gives us victory is the power and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, you know, one day, let's just say you're there, man. And I don't know. A tsunami hits, an earthquake hits. Oh, man, you're trying to scare me. No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not. I mean, you know, some people don't like to fly because they say, oh, what if the plane crashes? You know, you, you go in the car, in the car, the chances of you dying in your automobile are higher than you dying in the plane. You get in the, in the plane, I mean, in the car, and it's cool, you put your seatbelts on. It doesn't always save you. See, this is what my responsibility, this is what our responsibility is all about. We want you to have a wonderful life, but we've got to get you ready for the day that you die. Because the day that you die, it's forever. 
And the only hope that you have is Jesus Christ. And none of us knows if we have tomorrow. And that's why in reading this right here, we got to come to the Lord because he takes away the sting of death. And it can happen to us or it can happen to those around us. And God takes away the sting of death. There was a boy and his father. And one day they were traveling in their car when a bee flew through the open window. The boy was highly allergic to bee stings that both he and his father knew his life was in danger. And as the boy frantically jumped around and tried to avoid the agitated bee, the father calmly reached out and grabbed the bee. When he opened his hand, the bee began to fly again, terrorizing the boy once more. The father then said, Look, son, and holding up a hand with an implanted stinger, he said, His stinger is gone. He can no longer hurt you. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Death can no longer hurt us in Christ because he took the sting for us. You see, he died for us. And as a bee loses its stinger when it stings, so death lost its sting when it stung Jesus. So one day when we're there, we don't have to be afraid. Death doesn't have to be a foe. It must not be forgotten. For us, death is a friend. You know, one day we'll be there. And I love the psalm. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I have a book in my library. It's called Last Word. It's by Herbert Lockyer and has all the last words of people when they died. What will be your last words? Will you die in faith? You see, we don't have to be afraid because Christ has conquered death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Isn't as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I don't know how you guys feel. You know, maybe you're here today and, you, you know, you're afraid to die. I'll be honest with you, man. I look forward to it. I do. Again, not that I have a death wish. I love life. I love pizza. I love cheese puffs. I love music. Don't you love music? It's beautiful, man. The colors. Sometimes a good movie, man, makes you cry. I love life. I love people. I love people. I love my family. I love life. I love life. But I can't wait to die. I can't wait to go home one day. But I want to finish the race. But when it comes time to to go home, man, I'm excited. Because I know the power of Jesus Christ. He gave me life. And uh, it started August 20th, 1989. And it will never end. You see, and we need to have that understanding. You know, there are some people who think they can escape death. I don't know how you can escape death. As far as I know, it's still 100%, right? Except for a couple of guys here and there. You know, uh, Enoch is one. I'm not sure, really sure about Elijah. But anyways, Hebrews 9.27, it says, 
And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so, you know, you have an appointment. You know, we have an appointment to go to the doctors, and most guys, they don't go. Shame on us, right? Man, I don't know how many times I post, but I don't want to go today, right? But, you know, we have an appointment with death, and God's going to keep it. Nothing you can do about it. I don't care how many Brussels sprouts you eat or whatever it is. You're trying to extend your life. And don't get me wrong, we need to be good stewards of our time and talent and treasure and temple. Yeah, maybe it'll make a difference, but ultimately, God has the day already circled, right? And so we can't escape it, man. Martin Luther said, even in the best of health, we should have death always before our eyes. You guys, we need to be aware of that. We need to be ready for that. We need to be steady for that, man, because one day we will die. And we have to make sure that we face death having placed faith in Jesus Christ. You know, some people are like, I'm not afraid to die. And yeah, no big deal. Yeah, man, yeah, I'm with you, bro. I don't, I'm not afraid to die, but you don't know the Lord. You know what? You need to be really careful with that. Right? I read this one tombstone right here. It's a real famous one. This is what it says on the tombstone. It says, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And so one person passed by and they read the words and then they scratched the reply underneath. It said, To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Right? <laughs> Up or down? Heaven or hell? Life or death? Did you receive Jesus Christ? Did you really receive Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter if you go to church every week or once in a while. It doesn't save you. It doesn't matter even if you read your Bible, you pray, or whatever it is you went forward. You know whether or not you really know the Lord. That's what matters. You know, it's not knowing the plan of salvation, like Adrian Rogers said. It's knowing the man of salvation. Do you know Jesus Christ? Really, truly, totally, completely, not playing church. Not the faith of, you know, your parents or your kids or your friend. Your faith in Christ. It's important for us to understand this. Jesus Christ cares. He has compassion. And he offers you that life that more abundantly. You know, and the way that he's on the throne is just so awesome. One thing that's interesting, look what it says back in Luke chapter 7. It says in in, in verse 15, so he was dead, he sat up and he began to speak. And I just love this right here. It says, and he presented him to his mother. You know, he gets up, he starts sitting, you know, talking. And then he, you know, Jesus, I don't know how, but he somehow presents him to his mother. And to me, I thought that was kind of interesting. Jesus tells us the power he has over death. But, you know, in reading that right there, we say, well, now, you know, this guy didn't die. You know, he brought him back to life. And, and, and so how does it work, Manny? And all I can say is this, that Jesus knows what we really need. He knows what we really need. You know, this woman right here, Jesus knew she wouldn't make it. If her son died, she knew that. So, you know, he brought him back. But, you know, if the Lord allows your loved one to pass on, it could be a spouse, it could be a child, whatever it might be. Understand this. He knows what you need and he will provide for you. 
and he will protect you. He's on the throne. You know, I can't wait to go to heaven one day. See, I have two kids in heaven. We had two miscarriages. I can't wait to meet them. I can't wait to see my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. I think of Josie. I think of different people that I'm going to see one day in heaven. Sometimes he brings them back and he lets them live. He heals them. Other times he lets them go. But he is on the throne. And we need to trust him, you guys. It's so cool when you read this. The Lord said, your mother needs you. And he presented him back to her. As a result of this, we see what ended up happening. Again, verse 16, fear came upon all and they glorified God. And they said, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. What we see basically is God is great. God is speaking and God is with us. God is great. God is speaking. And God is with us. Visitation right here. What the Greek word speaks about is coming over your house to help you. You know, it's not like the person who comes over and they're like, hey, man, feed me, you know. And that's okay. You know, you guys have friends like that. And that's a blessing, actually. But it's someone who specifically comes over your house to help you. And that's who God is. And so when they saw the power, they saw the person, the providence, the purpose, all this in Christ, the pity. Then it says right there in verse 17, in this report about him, it went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region, reaching eventually over to the city of Almani. And just saying that this is the type of God that you have. Remember that, you guys. He's with us now because he wants us to be with him then and forever. Remember that the next time your loved one dies in Christ. Remember that when you face it yourself. Jesus came to seek and save the lost so that they would be found in heaven. You know, there's a little girl whose father had just died. And she asked her mother where her daddy was. And mom said he went home to be with Jesus. A few days later, talking to a friend, the mother said, I'm so grieved to have lost my husband. The little girl heard her and remembering what she had told her, asked mom. She said, Mom, is a thing lost when you know where it is? And the mom said, No, of course not. And she said, Well, then how can daddy be lost when he's gone home to be with Jesus? This is not our home. Death can devastate us. Death can cripple you. Death can paralyze you, ruin your life if you don't lift up your eyes and look at the person who has power over death. We're just passing through, you guys. We're just passing through. When it comes to death, you've got to be ready. When it comes to death, you've got to be steady. See, and the way that that happens is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I went into the room the other day, I think it was yesterday, man, and looked at my two kids. And I said, Man, I love you so much. My primary purpose is to 
is that when you die, you go to heaven. That's what it's all about, you guys. I love life. It's fun. But it's just a vapor. It's so quick. Our primary responsibility is that we would all be ready for that day when God calls our name, you know. I want to make sure, you guys, that we know the only person who has ever raised anyone from the dead by his own power. He even raised himself from the dead, huh? (laughs) When he died. You guys, let's follow him all the way home. Let's die with integrity. It's not a foe, and it should not be forgotten. For us, death is a friend. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would touch us, teach us and speak to us. And Father, I pray for your Christians, Lord, that are here today. I thank you for them. And they might even have the fear of death. I pray for them to be strong and me and that that day and that death, the whole thing, we would be steady. But I also pray for some here who who may not be Christians and who aren't ready. Lord, today you showed us ever so clearly that we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has the power over death, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. So, Lord, we love you. And I pray, Father, you do a work and you just touch hearts. And just as every eye is closed and every head is bowed, if you're here today and you've never really, truly, totally, completely given your life to Jesus Christ, then God is calling you today and he's made it very clear. And if you would like to know that when you die, you go to heaven, if you would like to know that your sins are forgiven, it's not a religion. If you would like to know that Jesus Christ has a place for you, then right where you're at, what you need to do is you need to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand as a, as a symbolic gesture of reaching out to God and saying, God, I need you. And today I turn from my sins and I trust Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you need that, man, we're, we'll pray for you. Just raise your hand right where you're at. Most important decision you'll ever make. If you don't know the Lord, man, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Anyone here today, man, this is what it's all about. Right where you're at, maybe your heart's pounding. I remember when I got saved, my heart was pounding. (laughs) The pastor kept delaying and delaying until finally I surrendered. And that day changed my life. Maybe today's your day, right where you're at. Raise your hand, man. Love to pray for you. Anyone here? Okay, Lord, I just thank you so much for the truth, Father God, uh, that you are, um, Lord, the, the lover of our life, that you are compassionate, that you are a God who cares. And you extend that invitation, Lord. I even thank you uh, that you don't force us. You give us a free will. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, my prayer is that they would get real with you, Lord, and that you would have mercy on them. I thank you so much for the lives here that do know you. And, Lord, strengthen us in this, even to go out 
into the highways and byways, Father, and reach out to those who are dead in their sins. Thank you again, Lord, so much for this time. Be with us now as we sing, as we fellowship, and as we serve you, Lord, for the rest of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name.